So guys, obviously we were supposed to air the podcast yesterday. Um, the past 24 hours have uh, been tumultuous, emotional, um, a lot of different opinions, a lot of comments um, uh, on social media. Obviously everybody's tuning in to news channels um, and particularly to the sports world. I mean, we do this podcast every week and most of the time we talk about hockey um but uh you know today is a little bit different before we start the show um you know wanted to touch on it and obviously just as as an athlete you know i i look at all the professional sports leagues and i have mixed emotions you know on one hand i'm very happy to see that players are able to have an impact on standing for something more than just what they do every day and being supported by that. And we saw that in the NBA, we saw that in Major League Baseball, we saw that throughout all the professional sports um, and, and also uh, in the NHL. And I think that um, as an athlete sitting on the sidelines right now, not competing, you know, you pay attention to everything else too. You know, when you're in that bubble, I'm sure, and you're you're playing in the playoffs, you're with your teammates, you're there. I mean, maybe you do watch social media a little bit, but you're, you're focused. You're focused on what you have to do. But, you know, as a black athlete, it's a little different. You know, when we're in the bubble or we're playing hockey, um, I'm very much aware of the things that are going on, um, you know, outside of just the hockey arena or the house that I live in. Um, you know, and there's real issues going on. Uh, I, I think that now reflecting 24 hours later on everything that's gone on from the players stepping up and making that statement to seeing leagues respect it, um, to hearing some people's opinions. Uh, I, I'm very proud. I'm very, very happy at the NHL taking the step. I'm very proud of the, the players. And that's where my you know, my, my happiness comes from with all this is that, you know, I can, I can speak for a lot of professional sports leagues, but I can speak first and foremost for the league that I've played in, that I've, I've been able to develop a career um, and a respectful career so far, and have gotten to know my peers very, very well, but understand them. And there's a new level of understanding when you see your peers stand up for something that is bigger than just the game that we play every day. We go out and compete. Obviously, we make a lot of money doing what we do. Um, but for players to, to really put the priority of human rights ahead of you know, winning a Stanley Cup or receiving a paycheck or whatever it may be, um, that, that's got to be commended. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do, um, you know, but to see players rally around and do that is, is fantastic. You know, taking a step forward now away from the incidents and, and all the things that have happened over the past 24 hours, the focus at some point, you know, after statements have been made needs to be on what are the actions? How do we improve situations in our communities? How do we make people feel comfortable? And in order to get comfortable, I think you have to feel uncomfortable. I think people need to be comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. That's okay. It's okay to feel uncomfortable when we're talking about certain issues that you may not be well-educated on or you may not understand fully. That's okay. Just take the time to learn. Take the time to listen. You know, I listened to Chris Weber 
um, who went on the air and did a fantastic job. And shout out to Bleacher Report that posted that video of him. But it was so insightful. And it wasn't about him speaking about the incident, whether this person was right or wrong. It was about the bigger picture and just the simplicity of people just listening and people trying to make the effort to understand. And, you know, the hope is, is that one day everybody can just get along, that people can feel comfortable in their skin. People can feel comfortable walking down the street. And I don't think anybody can argue that. I mean, everybody deserves the right to, to leave their house and walk down the street and feel comfortable. But we can't just dumb this down to professional sports. We can't dumb it down to it just being about professional athletes making statements, about professional athletes missing games. These are real issues. These are things that are happening in real life. This is bigger than sports. The cause is bigger than the NBA. The cause is bigger than Major League Baseball. The cause is bigger than the NHL. It's bigger than professional sports. And I think the quicker that we understand that, I think the quicker we can move forward. I think something else that's also worth talking about is just the emotional component. Forget whether you're black, white, yellow, brown, purple, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, whatever your political views are, whatever your race, your religion is, you know, everybody is feeling something. People are frustrated, people are emotional. And the more emotional people get is the more that they want to understand what's going on. How do we get to a place of getting better? And the reality, uh, the reality is, in my opinion, is that when I feel frustrated or emotional about issues that are going on and the constant, you know, rebuttaling of, well, this is right and this isn't right and that person's wrong and this person's wrong, all I think about are the families. I think about the families of the victims. I think about the families of, of, of people that are hurt, you know, the families that have lost loved ones, the families that have lost children and fathers and husbands and wives. And whether you're white, black or brown, everybody understands that, you know, so we all have to show some empathy, start with love, start with love first. Come from a place of love. Come from a place of caring. And I feel that we can get to that place where we can all get along, but it takes love first. I really believe that. Like, it's, it's, it's easy to, everybody wants all the answers. We don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers, and I know that everybody else doesn't have all the answers. I think people are looking for answers of how do we get ahead? What do we have to do? What are the next steps? And right now, maybe we don't have all those answers. That's why it's important to listen. Because if we don't have the answers, you gotta listen to the person next to you. You gotta listen to the person to the left of you. You gotta listen to the person to the right of you. Whether you agree or you don't agree, you have to listen. And you have to take the time to understand. And if you don't understand, agree to disagree, but take the time to listen. I think we should start there. For all you kids out there, uh, for all you people out there that are listening, just understand that where I stand from, I stand from a place of understanding through all of this that we need to continue to build bridges in our communities. We need to continue to fill that void, that void between law enforcement and underprivileged youth. We have to continue 
to educate, educate children that are, are in these low budget income communities. We have to find role models and we have to find support for those kids. And then in the people in position of power, they have to show empathy and understanding and reach out. And sometimes you have to get uncomfortable and do things that you haven't done before. Take the time to find out and, 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 and recognize what the other side is feeling. But we have to pay attention to all those things that are going on. And for you that are feeling those things emotionally, you're hurt, you're hurting, that's okay. We're gonna get to a better place, but it's gonna take time, it's gonna take education, it's gonna take a commitment from everybody to understand that it's not going to be perfect, but the effort has to be there and people need to become listeners. Everyone needs to become a listener before you can become a doer. That's it. What's up, Subaniacs? Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Ugly Duck Podcast. Big show today. The one and only Chris Pronger is joining me in just a bit. The man has too many achievements for us to list. Hockey Hall of Fame, Norris and Hart Trophy winner, Stanley Cup champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist. The list goes on and on. We're excited to have him here. It's going to be a great show. And as always, I can't tell you guys how much I appreciate the feedback, the reviews, the comments. Please keep writing. Those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, they're huge for me. So please keep leaving those. Keep commenting, liking, and subscribing on my YouTube channel. And anywhere you listen to podcasts, every little bit helps to get more eyes and ears on the show. So I appreciate it. Uh, stay right there. We got a great show. Chris Pronger, folks, don't go away. All right, Mo Darwish here, my producer. Mo, before we get to Chris Pronger, let's talk some hockey. Actually, let's talk some basketball. Kobe Bryant's birthday. Oh, yeah. Um, happened, and I got this jacket on. Before we get into it, I'm going to take my headphones off. I want to show the fans what's up. If you can see, hold on. I got the Kobe. Got to come up a little bit. Can you see it? Hold on. Can you see it? Well, see Kobe, Kobe in the, the back. back. Got Kobe in the back. Do a little front. Snap. There you go. Right there. Can you see Let it? The <laughs> Let's get the there hood up. Go. There we go. I got oh. Kobe on the back. So, had to come into the studio uh, rocking my Kobe attire. That's right. Um, I miss that guy. Yeah, great. I, you know, I loved him. He was my favorite athlete of all time. I'm from LA. Yep. Grew up a Lakers fan. Mm -hmm. I'm, I look, he got, he there was a lot of haters out there, right? Especially if you weren't from LA. But what was so remarkable is unfortunately when he passed, the one thing you saw is how much of an impact he had on sports and people in general. People were crying. I had, I had people say, I didn't even know I loved Kobe that much until he passed and I started crying and it affected me in a really deep way. Do you know what I appreciate about Kobe? Hmm. It's the same thing I appreciate about Michael Jordan now. Michael Jordan did the Last Dance documentary and that, let, that put everybody on notice on how Michael Jordan has separated himself from not any other basketball player, but any other athlete that's ever walked the planet. We live that with Kobe. Right. Like the mama mentality was present. We saw that in action. Like, you know, with Jordan, we knew the intimidation factor, but it just, we've never, he didn't sell that. Yeah. You know, now we know what it is. Kobe, he, he sold that. 
that was his mentality. And so, you know, as uh, coming from my generation, being able to grow up and watch Kobe, um, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have seen that. And I really miss, I miss watching him play. Um, you know, I just, I'm sure everybody misses him, but just wanted to give a shout out. Shout out to Dusty Gods for making this jacket for me. It's hot. Okay, let's get to hockey, Mo. Let's go. There's been a lot going on. Obviously, we yep. had an awesome first round <sighs> of the picks. playoffs. A couple picks were made. We <sighs> will get to how you fared at the end of this news. Obviously, what's been going on in the bubble has been tremendous. Yep. Really great hockey. But let's get into some top-line news around the league. Big trade happened today. Kapanen coming back home, being traded back to Pittsburgh where he started his career. Do a lot of people even know that, though, that he started started off in Pittsburgh? I did, was property of the Pittsburgh Penguins? I did not know until until the, the headline came out, but it looks like he's coming back in a trade that will include a first-round pick and some other players. Yeah. What are your thoughts on what Pittsburgh's doing? Well, listen, we knew... Actually, once hockey started, and I saw the way the hockey was being played, I'm saying, okay, first of all, the intensity is still the same. It's playoff hockey. I talked about that when we first spoke about that, when we first started the podcast of how impressed I was by the pace and how guys were playing. So we know that everybody's being evaluated the same way. Like I thought for sure that like, you know, are we going to evaluate this as an asterisk? And it doesn't seem that way because guys are playing hard. Guys are, the intensity's there. I think at the start it was a little bit sloppy, but other than that, it's been good hockey. So you know, we knew that when teams were being eliminated, especially teams that were supposed to be Stanley Cup to contenders that didn't get into the playoffs or were out in the first round, um, there's no moral victories here for anybody. So to see changes happen, that's expected. I expect to see a lot more changes happen. Um, you look at some of the teams that are not playing right now in the playoffs, even some that are playing, teams, the expectation is to win the Stanley Cup, regardless right. of what's happened. So um, we know that there's been a lot of talk about the Leafs. They made the big trade. Um, I know they get a first round pick back. It's interesting. Kapanen's a great player. I liked him on the team and how he fit in, but it'll be interesting to see what other moves happen over the offseason. So you got Kapanen, Crosby, Malkin on yeah. the same team. You think that's one of the better trios right now? Well, I mean, listen. Does that does that change the shit? Do you does that make them a favor going we're into talking the next year? We're talking about players fitting in with Crosby and Malkin. Like, right. It's like, come on. It's um, I don't want to say that it's not hard to play with those guys, but they're so talented and skilled that you know you when you can infuse some young talent with those players, I think it can be highly impactful. There's no question that that team is better than what they showed this year, and I think they'll be better, but. There's got to be moves that are made this offseason, and and maybe this is the first domino to fall. We'll see. Capitals fire head coach Todd Reardon. Yeah. Interesting. GM McLean says they're seeking an experienced leader to fill the empty coaching spot. A lot of talent on that team still. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, when I look at Washington, another team that I think is better than what they showed. Obviously, I picked the... Do we want to get into the picks? You're, you're kind of pulling me into my we're picks not, now. We're teasing and you know your what? picks. You challenged me before the round started, and I had to come strong to let you guys know what time you it is. You and so, the Islanders. I no, saw they're I writing strong. articles about your Islander prediction. I, I did actually see an you article about one. my yeah, Islander prediction. Great. Shout out to whoever wrote that article. <laughs> um, but I will say this. Washington, 
just needs to retool their depth. Their star players are still star players. They're top players on any other team. I think that there's, you know, a couple moves that they can make to fill out the rest of their roster. That's my opinion. As far as a coach goes, I, I'm not sure. You, I mean, you look at Barry Trotz, who was there, who is now excelling and doing extremely well with, with the Islanders. Um, I don't know who they're bringing in. There's talks about some of the other coaches that are available. Peter Laviolette, who I had um, in Nashville. Babcock, obviously, who's back into the mix, I guess. Um, Bruce Boudreaux. So we'll see. I, I don't know if any of those guys are legitimate candidates for the team, but there's been rumors about those guys. So we'll see what happens. But make no doubt about it. You know, there's talks about Ovi resigning his contract, going into training camp. I think that those star players still feel that they have an opportunity to win a Stanley Cup again, and they definitely have the team to do that. I just think that the reason why I picked the Islanders is I felt that the Islanders were just loaded top to bottom. I felt that their team, their roster was just a little bit more full. There were some injuries, Carlson coming back from injury, maybe not being a hundred percent. So, you know, there's a lot of things that Washington can mull over. I think they're going to use this rest to retool, rejuvenate and come back regardless of who the coach is. There's a lot to unpack on this Flower. next one. Yes. Wow. Mark, Mark Andre Fleury's agent, Alan Walsh. Getting in some kitchens. Tweets a picture of a flower yeah, being a, stabbed a in the back. And the internet never loses. After team decides to ride the hot hand of Laner in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Look, Fleury's agent eventually deleted the tweet. Uh, Fleury's got two more years uh, with, uh, he's got two more years left on his three-year $21 million contract. I guess he's saying Mark Andre is the the flower here. He was stabbed in the back by the team. What is going on here? Okay. Well, let's talk about as let me come from a player's perspective. Yeah. Okay. What was the score of the first game between uh Vegas? What like was what it? was what was the final score? Was it Can four, you tell me that? I think it was let me look this up right now. Can you tell I'm me pretty that? sure it was Vegas four, is up one nothing four in the nothing, series. I want to say. What was the score? Five nothing. Ah. Five, five nothing rip i think that's all that needs to be said about the story with his agent and mark andre Fleury. i thought right. i thought flower handled the interview well i watched the interview i thought he handled it well it's out of his control he doesn't control what people tweet um you know i'm i i really don't i don't really know alan walsh very well um but it's not something that is is new we've seen agents tweet different things at different times over my time of being in the nhl it is what it is but i told you that vegas was going to be a problem they were good yeah. in the round robin yeah right they haven't slowed down yeah and to see how they responded i don't even think those guys looked at it as they had to respond to that thing. I don't think any of them really cared you're playing in the playoffs they're focused on playing they won five nothing that shows you where their head's at I'm just looking at Vegas right now. They're they're just putting up W's, right? They lost to Chicago once on August 16th. But other than that, it's been all green in the win column for them. So they're going to be a tough out. Uh, you know, probably expect that they got a good shot of winning this series. So next on, Mike Milbury steps down from NBCSN after misogynistic comment while talking about pros and cons of players in the bubble. He basically <laughs> made a comment that you know obviously we're seeing great hockey because there are not women in the bubble to disrupt the concentration of the players thoughts on that <laughs> i mean i just don't think he can say it not today and and really not ever right like if we're being honest that's you hear comments like that in a locker room and if right. you hear them in a locker room 
okay, debate whether it's appropriate or not, but you definitely shouldn't hear it on national television. And, you know, but, but without being hypocritical, let's look around all pro sports. We look at TNT with Charles Bar Charles Bar. I love listening to Charles Barkley. Shout out to Charles because I love Charles. Yeah. Charles, um, you know, is a dear friend of mine. Keep in touch with him. I love Charles Barkley. Shaq, Kenny Smith, all these guys, right? They're on the air. We hear them speak. Listen, there's things that are said on that show and nobody. So, you know, it's, it really depends. Sometimes it depends on what network you're, you're working on sometimes too. Yeah. So it just, it also depends on the culture. I just, I don't think he can say that. I, I you know, I, I know that if I'm on the air, if I say that, I'm not worried about what NBC's doing. I'm worried about what my mom's going to say to me when she hears it on the air. You know what I mean? Right. Like she's not, I got sisters. I got my mom. I would never say something like that on the air. All right. Now let's get to the, the moment you've been waiting for. All right. The last round, PK, you were five of eight on your picks, which means if we And it should have been six. It should have been six. I think I talked you out of the, the Tampa pick, right? Because that's where you and initially you guys, to listen to me. You guys took to the comments. You wanted to say this and say that. Everybody wanted to criticize me for my picks, saying, okay, you're soft. You don't want to make... Well, I made some picks, and the results are in. So, look, good news. If we listened to PK and we put our money where PK wanted us to, we would have made money, right? The bad news is, is <laughs> that the two, you know, two of the three teams that lost were your pick to win it all in the St. Louis Blues and my pick to win it all in the Carolina Hurricanes. So do you have any sort of, you know, rebuttal on that before we end up getting into your future picks here for the quarterfinals? Well, I mean, first of all, if I would have predicted at the beginning of the playoffs that Jake Allen would have taken over the net for St. Louis and it would have flip-flopped and nobody would have predicted that, right? You know, with them coming off winning a Stanley Cup. So I think that there was a lot of things going on in St. Louis that I, you know, guys were very, very disappointed. I don't think they played their best hockey. I just think that they just didn't get to where they needed to play. You know, I don't think they got to the level that won them the Stanley Cup. And it sometimes that happens, you know, it's just, it's not your time. You know, they've had their time. It wasn't their time. It doesn't mean that they're going to accept it. But at the same token, I still think that they're a contending team for the Stanley Cup, just not this year. Um, but they're out. And I was wrong. I had picked them to win. They're out. Um, well, look, the good news is I, I'm upset about that too. I you're, feel like I'm really upset. But some Vancouver, of the teams. How do yeah. you, how do you, how do you, I can be upset about St. Louis not winning because I picked them to win the cup, but how do you get upset about Vancouver and the way they played? Vancouver deserved it. They deserved it. It looks like, and we'll get into it right now. It looks like they may have emptied the tank whoever that, that yes whoever that fan was one. that said keep sleeping on vancouver i yeah. give props with props too remember that we were talking about that right shout out to you thank you for commenting yes well look let's jump into it right people need to make some money here it might be a little hard given we've already played some games but we want your predictions for these quarterfinals let's, let's jump, get into it let's jump into the west right I think this was your 1B team, the Vegas Knights. I'm going with Vegas. Let's not even get into that. I'm going with Vegas. I'm, I just got a feeling. I think that they're rolling. I think they're confident. The top line's going. They got too many people involved. That When, you know, Leonard's playing right now and he looks lights out. Yep. I mean, they got Marc-Andre Fleury who's going to come in. And you know if he gets the net, he's capable of shutting you down. So I, I'm going with Vegas. I like their team. 
Vegas currently has Vegas yeah. as the number one favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. The Avalanche versus the Dallas Stars. Look, you called Dallas as your number two. They're, you said, hey, if they get going in the last series, that's what you said. Watch out. If they got going. Now, look, they're up, what, 2-0 okay, well, on the series? I'll be honest here. First of all, I think Nathan McKinnon has been an absolute monster in the playoffs. I think he's been the best player that Eight, I've seen on yep, the ice. 18 points. And that says a lot with how Brad Marchand's been playing um, the playoffs. But Nathan McKinnon has been, as far as I'm concerned, unstoppable. I remember when we played them in the playoffs in Nashville, and I quoted after we beat them saying that he should have been the MVP that year. I felt he was the best player. And he's proving it again that he's right there with the league's great, if not, you know, the top player in the league right now with the way he's performed. Colorado's team, what I saw yet, what I saw in, in the first two games was I saw a team that is a contending Stanley Cup team yeah. get beat by a team that is also a Stanley Cup contending team but has been there and has that experience. Listen, let's, let's not forget that the Dallas Stars have had those series against San Jose, St. Louis, have been that close, have gotten a sniff. Let's not forget the experience that's on that team. Let's look at the players that are on that team right now, outside of Jamie Benn and Sagan and Radulov, who are the guys that get it done. Good luck, right? Because you know those guys are rolling on you. When they get going, they're tough to stop. But let's talk about Joe Pavelski. Thank you. An experienced player who still hasn't won a Stanley Cup, who's looking for it. You got Corey Perry, who's re, like who's kind of rejuvenated his career being on this Dallas Stars team. Like, you put Corey Perry on your third line or fourth line. Like, I mean, come on. It's Corey Perry we're talking about, right? The experience. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's been there. He's played. You got Fox. Uh, you got, you got. Oh, Dickinson, you got all these guys. Like uh, Dallas, just looks so deep. Like yeah. I'm watching them, and they're D. Like that Heiskin and Klinberg, the way they move on the blue line. I just Dallas looks good. Their goaltending looks great. Lindell, like their their defense looked great. I just they're playing with confidence. You see them come back. Score was it four unanswered goals in game two? I think it was four unanswered goals they had. Uh, McKinnon, the uh, Colorado was up two nothing, four unanswered goals. I just, I just see that the, that veteran experience and depth is is very very difficult for Colorado to handle. I don't. I'm not saying that they're. I don't think that Dallas is going to sweep them, but I, I have Dallas. If they continue to play the way they're playing right now, I think Dallas takes this series. I mean, listen to me. There's a good chance. I, I think the Stanley Cup championship team is coming out of the West. That's that's my guess. I just, I don't know. So it might be Dallas or Vegas. We'll I think see it's how Dallas or Vegas, goes. but I think it's between those three teams. Got it's it. Dallas, Vegas, or Colorado, but I'm picking Dallas to take this series. I just, I don't see the next game's obviously huge. I think Colorado's going to throw everything at them, but I'm just looking at it. I think Colorado's got a lot of juice. They're trying to figure it out. They had the start that they wanted last game, but to have Dallas, that's what kind of Dallas does. Yeah. You know what I mean? They just roll. They get a little bit of breathing room and they just roll on you, roll on you. They're big, they're fast, they're physical. Como, like the experience is, is just, they got a lot of experience on that team. I think that's what we're seeing in the series right now. All right, so we'll take Dallas there. In the East, Flyers and your team, the Islanders. Going with the Islanders. Still Andy rolling. Green. 
Rome. Shout out to Andy Green, oh. GWG. Uh, got the post-game interview as well. Um, it's reasons like that why I picked the Islanders to win because they got players like Andy Green that are meat and potatoes guys that have an opportunity to do something special. Um, I think their team is going to have a special run. I don't think, uh, I think Philly's a great team. I think Carter Hart's a great goaltender. I'm not saying this is going to be a four straight series, but I have the Islanders winning this series. Another team that's just rolling. Like, look at, look what they did to the Capitals, right? Yeah. Uh, look what they did to Florida. Um, look what they're doing oh, now. Oh, hold Philly. on. Mo, 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 Hold on. Like the Colorado Avalanche can win three straight games against the yeah. Dallas Stars. Like that could happen. It's, now looking at it, I'm making my predictions based on where the series is at now. Okay. If you would have asked me at the start of the series, it's different. But Dallas is up 2-0. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for Colorado to come back in the series with the experience that Dallas has. And it's not I like, just, it's look, you're in the bubble, right? It's yeah. not like, oh, okay, we took care of home field, but no. now they're coming. That does not exist no. anymore. You were in the same environment. Yep. As as every all all through seven games, if if you go to seven, right? And listen, the Islanders, as great as a team as they are, they're a team that has to continue to play that way and be accountable to the style that they're playing to have that success. If they take their foot off the gas, they get away from their game plan. They're a mediocre team, as far as I'm concerned. When they're playing the way that they need, and I, I mean, people can say, well, that's every team, PK. Well, no, it's not. Some teams have the luxury and the firepower to get away from their, their game plan and just outscore you. I don't think the Islanders are that team. They don't want to get into, uh, you know, trading chances with Philly. That's yep. that's that's what Philly would love. You right. know, I think they have to play their lockdown defensive style. If they play their style of game, they're going to get some opportunities. I think I think the Islanders are taking that series, no just doubt. Locked they do that. down. They yeah. just completely goosed egg they Philly do. in that. First and you can see the frustration on guys. You can't get yeah. frustrated. That's. You know, Philly wants to get back into this series and really start to dictate it and take over some momentum. They just can't get frustrated. The Islanders' system, the way they play, is designed to frustrate you. Got so, it. Before we get into this final matchup, we want to break down some vocabulary here for, <laughs> you know, some Boston slang that may be used in conversations around this series. Uh, first word you might not have heard before, wicked pissa, as in, Pasternak's goal was wicked pissa. <laughs> Even though it sounds like your friend is insulting you, uh, wicked pissa is the height of compliments in Boston. <laughs> bang. Well, bang. I've, I've always... Bang. Okay, let's bang, go to bang. Let's go through all the words. Bang, another <laughs> word, right? Casually used in Boston, it means to turn. Marshawn banged left and went top shelf on <laughs> Vesel... I can't pronounce his name right now. It's too good. Vasilevsky. Yeah, Vasilevsky, all right? Oh. That's another word. Another word, Paula, okay, refers to a parlor in your living room or your house, right? Hey, Cheryl, we watching the Bruins game in the Paula. And then finally, it. Ripa, right? Ripa. It's a huge kegger party, right? Something that you don't want to miss. So we're going to throw a huge Ripa once the Bruins beat Tampa to advance. Let's jump into that. Tampa Bay Lightning versus Boston. Who you got? Oh, man, this is where it gets a little tough. Um... You know what? I I I bet against Boston with Carolina. Yeah. Um, I really think the Svechnikov. And, and I, I think I talked you out of that. But listen to me. I think the Svechnikov injury, obviously, it just it it, it takes away from their depth a little bit. Yeah. I think we, 
you know, we saw a little bit of the inexperience with the team. You know, I, I, I can't find fault of Carolina losing that series, but it seems that Boston's got it all going on right now. Yeah, everyone's and, playing. Marshawn playing well. Pasternak uh, playing really Marshawn, well. Marshawn, Marshawn. I mean, Boston wins the Stanley Cup this year. Is Marshawn the Conn Smythe trophy winner? Maybe. I, I mean. They're playing a gritty uh, brand right now of, uh, of hockey. I mean, Bergeron, Chara, like, but I, I, Marshawn, I mean, he's playing out. He's playing yeah. extremely well right now. I, I just. I don't know. Is Stamkos coming back? Is he going to be back? That's a question. We have to look that up. Let me see. I don't know. It, this series is a, it's a tough pick, but I'm going with Boston. I'm going with Boston. All right. There you go. I'm going with Boston. Boston will be taking it to I, I round think that the three-headed up. monster in Marshawn, Pasternak, and Bergeron is going to be tough to handle. Yeah. But we'll see. I just think that Boston getting through that Carolina series with Pasternak being banged up and in and out, I, I think that shows how deep their team is. And you can't, you can't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bet against them this round. Sounds good. You heard it here. So we have Boston moving on to face the Islanders. Yep. And then we have. And by the way, that's the series I want to see. Really? That's the series I want to see. Then we have the Golden Knights facing the, Stal the Dallas Stars. Because if the Islanders play Boston and beat Boston, you got to tip your hat to that. Right. Boston's the best team in the East, right? They've shown that, right? They're just, you got to beat They have them. the pedigree. You got to beat them. Well, let's jump into some other news around different leagues. Yep. One that involves perhaps your team. NFL, Earl Thomas cut by the Ravens after altercation with another player on the field. Right Cowboys, now, go get him. Cowboys, Jerry, go get them. Let me ask you, have you had an instance before where during training camp, a pro, a pro Bowl caliber type player got into some sort of altercation and he was kicked off the team? I, You know what? There was a situation when I was in Montreal with a player that something like that happened. Now, you and I were talking before the show and you had said something that maybe there was some voting going on and yeah. players were involved. Listen, I can't comment on all of that, but I will say this. As a player and being a professional athlete, if you go into the locker room and you only judge players by what you see in the locker room and what happens when you're not around, I don't think that's very realistic. The one thing that I've learned in my career is you know players as well as you know them. And the reality is, is that you're not around these guys their whole careers, their whole lives. You don't know what experiences players have had growing up. You don't know what experience or what they're experiencing at home. You don't know what they're going through in their personal life. You don't know, unless you have, unless you're privy to all that information, you can't be voting on when something happens around a player. Like until you have all the information, I can't stand players that get involved in other people's business that don't know what's going on. Right. Like, you know what I mean? So, you know, when things happen, I understand there's a responsibility as a professional athlete to your team, to the organization. I get that. But there is real life going on. There's real things happening. Like when you leave the stadium, when you leave the court, when you leave the hockey rink, when you leave the soccer field, you have a life. Yeah. You have a wife. You have children. You have friends. You have family. You have demons. You have, there's a lot of things that go on. So, I never like to jump and judge any particular situation until I get 
all the information. And in this particular situation, I don't have all the information, but I do have this information. This guy is a very good football player. Go and, get until, him, and until I hear the reasons of why yeah. he wouldn't be good to be wearing a Dallas Cowboys jersey, Jerry, go get him. We'll jump into the NBA quickly. Toronto sweeps Brooklyn. We'll face a tough Boston team in the next round, just like you called it. Do we even have to talk about it? Toronto is deep. They don't even have one massive star. They're just deep. Their but bench you know is what? putting up points. Listen, and I know, shout out to Kevin Durant, who's, you know, a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit. Mm -hmm. I ain't disrespecting your team, Kev, but I'm just saying. My Raptors just... Mm, mm. Just smacked the Nets all <laughs> over the court. It was fun to watch. I enjoyed every moment of it. Shout out to Kyle Lowry, real leader. These guys have rallied. Um, they're taking it personal. And I love every moment of it. Go out and get those Celtics. I'm going to take a little pleasure in this next one. I think uh, we can cut to a clip from the last episode. Dame Dalla. Dame Lillard. I heard a lot of Dame, Dame, Dame. Trailblazers on the verge of elimination. Lakers lead the series 3-1 after dropping the first game. LeBron averaging a triple-double. You know, Lillard has played kind of hot and cold. He dislocated a finger. Obviously, that's affecting him. Not looking good for the Blazers right now. I'm going to take a page out of Mr. Mark Jackson's book, and I'll say, Mama, there goes that man. LeBron James facilitating and annihilating the competition. I got to give props where props do. Dame, world-class player. We had talked about it before the series. I had, said, I had said, you can't bet against the Lakers. The Lakers are a team that should win. They're proving that. But I am an advocate for players stepping up and doing their job. LeBron James stepped up yeah. and took over the series. That's what he needs to do in this situation, and that's what he did. You have to commend him on that. Damian Lillard, great player, whether you want to – he's having a good series. Maybe not a great series, but right. he's having a good series. I still think that this guy's an elite player. He still has that killer attitude. I think his time is coming. Whether his time comes in Portland or not, you got to commend him on getting his team to the playoffs. But let's see. I don't know. They're going to keep fighting. They ain't going to give up, but – I can tell you this, LeBron has got the boys going. Lakers look like a different team in games two, Hands three, and Hands down, four. man down. Kawhi, let's get some, let's uh, drop some honorable mentions. Some other teams that are balling, uh, some other players that are balling out. Kawhi Leonard shooting 50% in his series against Dallas right now. 30 points, 10 rebounds is what his average is. Luka Doncic, talk about a young new guy who might be the face of the league in say three, four years from now. Also averaging 30 and 10. Series is tied at two to two. Do you still have the Clippers taking that series? Listen to me. That step back was nasty. nasty. Unbelievable. It was, and he rushed it too. Listen to made, me. Oh, it was so People good. People don't understand. Do you know how many times you have to repeat? That sequence. Yeah. Do you know how many times he's repeated that sequence? The shimmy shake, the step to the right, the step to the left, the step back, pop. With the time running down. Yep. With his team down one. Come on, man. Listen to me. Luka Doncic, uh, listen, I'm a, I'm a fan of Stephen A. Smith, and I, I was tuning into Instagram to watch Stephen Smith say that he is the truth. 
Um, it's listen, it's one game. You have to take his age into account, but I want to see him do it consistently. I still have this feeling that when you are a young player in this league, in any league, in the NBA, maybe it's a little bit different because I always say that the NBA is the most individual team sport out of all the team sports. You have one or two players, you can win a championship. Yeah. It's not like that in hockey. Hockey, you got to have more than one player to win. So when I look at it, I always say, like, I want to see players do that when there's real pressure on them. Like, when you're a young player, the expectations are kind of like, yeah, let's see what he does. You know, I want to see him when he gets to the point where he's LeBron James. Yeah. And you've been playing in the league for a while, and the expectation is for you to deliver and you deliver. I want to see you with like Kobe. I want to see you like George. Before I go all in on him, I'm all in on the talent. I'm all in on the ability. I want to see it consistently every year, year in, year after. And you know what? I don't think that's too much to ask. But as far as that game goes against the LA Clippers, a team that's supposed to be in the finals, a team that arguably is in, what, the top two, top three teams to win a championship? For him to be doing that and pushing the series to 2-2. remarkable. Well, you have to look at this way. You look at Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard. Yeah. The Portland series is 3-1. The Clippers series is 2-2. Could be 3-2 as well if Porzingis wasn't kicked out of that first game. Big shout-out. Not a bad time to be a Dallas fan okay, of so, any sport. But if you want to say that, then let's go back to when <laughs> Cleveland beat Golden State and Draymond was ejected out of the game and suspended and he couldn't play. It's like, okay, well, we can say shoulda, coulda, woulda. I'm commenting on who's on the court and what's playing. The series is 2-2. I'm watching game five. Final honorable mention before we wrap this up. Donovan Mitchell averaging nearly 40 points per game for Utah. We see you, Donovan. You Three stripes, dude, too. Shout yeah. out to Spidey. That wraps it up for sports, guys. All right, here we go. He's a Hockey Hall of Famer, 2007 Stanley Cup winner and two-time Olympic gold winner. He's also a four-time All-Star defenseman and the winner of the Norris Trophy and Hart Trophy after a monster 2000 season with the Blues. He's got so many awards and achievements, it's hard to keep up with. He retired from the league and was working as the senior vice president of hockey operations with the Florida Panthers up until this summer. Ladies and gentlemen, ugly duck fans watching, Subaniacs <laughs> across the world, please welcome Chris Pronger. Chris Pronger, thanks for joining me on the Ugly Duck Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. Prongs, where are you right now? I'm in uh, St. Louis. It's about a uh, thousand degrees right now. Okay. Well, first of all, I have to tell everybody watching and listening how I'm excited I am to have prongs on because, you know, as much as I got to play a small stint against prongs in my career, I was a huge fan of Chris Pronger growing up, tried to mimic his game, was never really good at being as tough as he was, <laughs> um, but tried to take from him what I could. Um, Prongs, have how have you been enjoying the bubble hockey? What do you think about the presentation as a spectator? And a best surprise so far for you? Uh, I think how quickly they got ramped up. Yeah. I think uh, you know, how that long of a layoff stuff, especially not knowing if you're gonna play, not gonna play. There's so there was so many variables to take place uh, in order to get to uh, get back to playing. And then, you know, I think the hockey itself has been Pretty, pretty darn good. I think 
the intensity level and and the magnitude of of the moment and everything that's going on has been has been great. I think teams are are leaving it all on the line, which is great to see. Um, you know, I like I actually like the way they've got the seats tarped off. I think that helps yeah. with the, the noise in the arena. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the you know the fake fans and things like that would would play very well with how fast the camera moves with the puck, etc. So I like the tarp. I think it it helps with the noise and the sound, and uh, and obviously. They do. They've done a pretty good job of piping in some uh, some fan noise and uh, moments where you think there wouldn't be any fan noise. They're able to create it, so it's pretty cool. No, it is. And actually, I, I want to comment on that specifically. I was sitting watching like a couple games with Lindsay, the games that she wants to tune in for anyway. Whenever Colorado's <laughs> playing, because she had a house out in Vail, she claims she's a Avalanche fan. But we'll be tuning. She's like, man, it sounds like there's actually people in the building, and like I yeah. just. I I actually would love to just step on the ice to hear what the sounds sound like when you're playing. It's interesting. Shout out to the NHL. They've done an amazing job, I think, with the preparation, the presentation, and with the players. Okay, let's get to it now. Who are you rooting for? Who do you think is going to win the Stanley Cup this year? Ooh. Yep. Um, tough. It's It's tough. I think when you look at who's left, and you, you look at, uh, you know, I think you're looking at a tough series, Boston, Tampa. You know, I think when, when you look at these, each and every one of these series, you look at Vegas and, and Vancouver, you look at Dallas now in Colorado, and you look at the Islanders and, and Philly, they're pretty evenly matched. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing um, there's, there's no home ice. So I think that's... It's crazy. Uh, a big issue, I think, for some of these teams. Yes. The home ice, yeah, they get they get the you know, they get the last change, etc. But there's no home crowd, there's no energy to build off. You're down in a series, oh, we're going home, we, you know, we're gonna feel better about all that. Um, you know, I think as it relates to that, it, it's it's pretty difficult. I'm a hundred percent with you. I picked St. Louis Blues to win the cup this year. That was my pick. And I had to, I had to swallow that one, Prongs. It, it, that, that, that one surprised me. Um, Prongs, what team have you enjoyed watching? Any specific team that you've really enjoyed watching during the playoffs? I, I like seeing the teams that can kind of ramp it up and, and, and really elevate the intensity of their game. I think you look at a team like Vegas, they're able to do that and, and have done that since they came in the league. Um, you look at, you look at Vancouver, the way they played against St. Louis. Uh, they really stepped up their game. Um, you know, you look at the way that uh, that the Islanders have played. And, yeah, I know they play a fairly defensive system, but mm -hmm. uh, they're able to really finish uh, capitalizing the chances that they're able to get. And, and they've got a few guys that obviously are are uh, highly skilled offensively with Barzal and, and yeah. you got Joe and you got Anders Lee in front of the net and you got all kinds of stuff. So, uh, I think when you're looking at those teams, you're really seeing how they can, uh, you know, take their games to that next level, play a physical brand and kind of grind on uh, their opponents. And, and uh, you know, they're able to dispatch in the, in the case of the Islanders, they dispatch the Panthers and, and now they're, uh, you know, moving on again. No, no question. And the Islanders might be, you know, one of definitely one of my favorite teams to watch. I've been watching pretty much all the games and, I just like their style. I like the way that they frustrate teams. Definitely a fun, fun team to watch. Um, Chris, 
I'm familiar with your story, but for our fans that are watching, let's just take it back a little bit. Let's go back to the beginning and what the early years of Chris Pronger's hockey playing career look like. Can you tell a little bit? Can you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm from a small town in northwestern Ontario called Dryden. Mm -hmm. I'm, uh, you know, kind of in the middle of Winnipeg and Thunder Bay, four hours to Winnipeg, four hours to Thunder Bay. Uh, I played, uh, you know, just hometown hockey growing up and uh, moved away from home at 15 to go play in Stratford. And uh, from there, I, uh, I went to play two years in Peterborough and then was drafted to the Hartford Whalers, where I spent two glorious years in the mall there. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and then I got that, that fateful night uh, where I was out, out fishing with Paul Holmgren, our head coach, and that summer and, you know, trying to see how my training was going, how I was doing mentally. It was a couple tough years to, to start my career. And a lot of ups and downs, mainly downs, but a few ups. And, uh, you know, he wanted to just check on me and, and kind of see where my head was at. And after we had spent three days fishing and, and you know, kind of getting to know each other even even better, <laughs> he was on his way home, stopped in Thunder Bay, called to the office, and Jim Rutherford, the new GM, said he just traded me. <laughs> so he was quite happy to, to, to spend three days uh, with me and then all of a sudden get that news. So it was... Uh, a rude awakening to what the business of hockey looks like. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think from that, that time on that point in, in my career, I really looked at it more as a business and understood that, you know, when you're no either when the team is looking to go in a different direction, move on from you, whatever the term people want to use or, or think they're getting the better of a trade, uh, they're going to try to make it. And, and as players, we need to, we need to go out and try to make the most money we can and, and try to win the most championships, the most games, whatever, whatever our measuring stick is and, and try to do the best, uh, the best we can uh, on, on the ice. And, and hopefully uh, as you know, off the ice and, and create a positive impact on the kids that are watching the sport and, and hopefully those in the community that, that are out there supporting us. No, no question. I think all that stuff's amazing. And Prongs, just to take you a little bit through why I started this podcast, you know, I got a lot of kids, a lot of young adults, a lot of young business professionals that follow me, whether it's on social media or whatever. And what I wanted to do with this platform is be able to bring on people that are just really experts in their professional space and give these fans that follow me some insight that they wouldn't normally get in one of your TSN interviews or Sportsnet interviews or anything like that. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, you touched on so many things there and I want to break that down for a second and going back to Dryden where you're from. And I want to ask you this question because I, I have a feeling that I know where the answer is going to go to. Cause I, I think I know a little bit more about you than you probably think, but as far as a training standpoint and how hard you've worked, but I want to go back to when you first started your, your hockey career and just ask you, did you know you were that good at that time? And when did you figure out that you were honestly, had the potential to become a hockey legend. Like where did it start for you? Where did you start to think that like, man, I'm good at this. You know, I think, you know, it's hard to say because, you know, from us, when you're from a small town, you don't, you know, you grew up in Toronto. So you get to play against all these kids. Yes. Really kind of test yourself against some of the best kids in the country. I'm from the middle of nowhere, a small town, Canada. There was no internet. There was no nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're just playing against kids in, in, in the nearby towns. And 
you know, I guess we could call it double A, whereas triple A would be the highest. And, you know, when, when you're, I was one of the better players every year on my teams and played up a couple of years and, and whatnot. And I knew I was pretty good, but you really don't know how good you are. You know, I think there was a couple moments, you know, kind of what you're talking about. There was a couple moments in my hockey career where I, you're starting to, you know, I played high school hockey. My first couple of years, I got, I got cut from the, our sectional tryouts for the uh, all Ontario's. So for the under 16s, I got cut. And actually, uh, a gentleman by the name of Sheldon Ferguson had Mm -hmm. two wild cards and uh, chose me as one of them to come down to uh, the main camp in, in, I think it was in uh, Waterloo. And he gave me a wild card and I made the team. (laughs) But having said that, there was obviously a lot of politics in in one of the reasons why I got cut because I didn't go and play AAA. I played high school. I didn't train as hard as I probably should have. At that point, I really didn't train and, and didn't, you know, didn't prepare uh, for, for the camp and prepare for what was necessary of me. Um, so, I, you know, I think you learn an awful lot about yourself. I think anybody who has ever done anything in sports or life or business or what have you, there's always a fork in the road. There's always adversity. It's what you take away from that failure we can call it that i failed i didn't train right i didn't prepare properly i didn't do this or that and i think you're able to really uh you can you can look at it and complain oh somebody did this somebody did that to me or you can look in the mirror and say okay i need to fix that and i need to change that and and ultimately you know when i went back to the second camp i trained harder i prepared harder and i i made sure that when i got down to the camp uh, with that wild card spot, I was going to make hay and play to the best of my abilities, and ultimately made the team. Oh well, listen, that's that's an amazing story. Hey, Prongs, can you mute the notifications on your phone? We're just getting it on our end. We're getting those pings. <laughs> it's, it's my freaking computer. It's my wife. <laughs> it's his computer. <laughs> Let me go in here and uh, turn it off. <laughs> she's she's texting somebody. I'll, I'll go oh, in here. Oh, and- that is amazing. Oh, we got to keep that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So, Chris, you were selected in 1993 by the Harper Whalers, like you said before, when you were playing for Peterborough Peets. You were selected behind the guy. His name was, uh, the first overall pick was Alexander Daigle at the time. And he famously quoted and said, I got the quote here. I'm glad I got drafted first because no one remembers number two. You were drafted second overall. Who's laughing now, Daigle? What do you have to say to that, Chris? <laughs> well, um, you got a few tomahawks across the back of the legs for that one. <laughs> every, every game I made sure he had to ice bag it up. <laughs> uh no no question you are an absolute beast and a monster man uh and fun to play against uh chris what was your rookie season like you know i know that everybody when they come into the nh in pro sports you know not just hockey but any pro sport goes through ups and downs you learn a ton you you come into the nhl i know like you said you're from a small town when I first came into the NHL, I had somebody to learn from in a guy like Carey Price, who's also from a small town out west. And I remember when I got to know Price, he would talk about it. 
where he's from and how small it is compared to a place where I'm from. You know, me transitioning to Montreal, you know, wasn't a crazy transition coming from Toronto. I mean, Toronto's a much larger city than Montreal. So for you, what was it like for you transitioning into the NHL? What was that first year like through ups and downs? Yeah, you know what? Hartford did a great job in in going out and getting Brad McCrimmon to kind of be my mentor. Um, you know, I I roomed with him on the road. You know, we ate dinner every night. We, you know, we practiced every day. I mean, he was my my partner in practice and in games for the two years I played in Hartford. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was invaluable. He was wealth of knowledge. I mean, think about it. I'm 18 years old and he's 36 years old. He could have been my dad. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, who knows? But uh, you know, so it was uh, a lot of ups and downs. So it was, you know, a lot of mistakes, a lot of, you know, learning on the fly, playing 18, 19 years old in a league back then, which was much, much older. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was not a lot of young players in the league. You know, if you were a 23 year old coming out of the minors, you were considered young. You know, most players spent their time in the minors, then they worked their way up. And, you know, very few guys started at 18, let alone 20. And, you know, so it was, it was a, there was a big learning curve. And, uh, you know, I think the way that I played the game and, and, you know, learning how to, you know, play against much stronger guys and, and the way that I played the game, you know, it was a lot of learning on the fly and, and figuring out the way, ways to play the game. And, and, you know, I think I got a little tired at times. I wasn't as big as big then as I am now. And, you know, the amount of minutes I was playing in junior versus, uh, up in pro was different. It's just, you know, a different mentality and trying to learn all that. Uh, there was a lot of struggles. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, yeah. you know, but I think had I not gone through that, those first couple of years in Hartford, you know, I don't think the light bulb would have went off, you know, had I had a little bit more success and, and proven myself a little bit more that those first couple of years, who knows what, what would have happened to me. And And when that light bulb goes off, like whether it's on the ice, off the ice, transitioning into being a pro, like what did you learn about yourself during that time? Cause we know what, who Chris Pronger turned out to be as a hockey player, but as a person, just what your approach to the game, your appreciation for the game, just, you know, in terms of how you trained, how you mentally prepared, how did that first year affect you? How did, you know, what did you become? Yeah, I think I, I really, it took me, probably three years, you know, Mm -hmm. to after the trade from Hartford to St. Louis and then being booed essentially the whole season because I got traded for a fan favorite. (laughs) And so I was being booed. I mean, it really wasn't my fault, but again, learning how to train, learning how to eat, learning how to prepare. And I, and really at the end of the day, I just learned that a, I don't care what fans think or what people think, Mm -hmm. but B I've got to play my game and play, you can't be worried about all the external factors and everything going on around you. You got to just play the game, read and react, play the game. There's a reason you're there. And once you figure that out and figure out what you're good at, you stick to it. And, you know, I think I, I tweaked a couple things and how I prepared and, and mentally, you know, like from, I wouldn't even fool around and warm up. Like from the time I started getting my gear on, you know, once I start tying up my skates, there was no joking in a locker room to know I was just getting out, getting ready to to figure out what my task was that game and going out and, and being the best at, at what I, what I'm capable of and what I'm able and willing to do on, on any given night to win a hockey game. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. And 
I mean, it's it's just great to hear from a Hall of Famer like you, and I'm sure that all the fans watching uh, and listening appreciate it. Um, Chris, you got traded after two seasons with the Whalers to the St. Louis Blues under coach Mike Keenan. And late in your first season with the Blues, a guy by the name of Wayne Gretzky was acquired. <laughs> what was it like sharing the ice with this guy, this legend? And was there a, a lot going on behind the scenes during Wayne's short stay in St. Louis? Like, what was it like? Like having a guy like that come to your team, that point, yeah. point in your career, what was that like? You know what? When he, when he got there, I was still being booed. So it kind of took a little bit of that away from, you know, it took a little pressure off me. It took the spotlight off of me. Obviously yeah. everybody's paying attention to him and everybody's focusing on him and the media yes. and the fan notoriety and all the rest of that, that com comes with that package. And uh, you know, so I think it, it really helped me when he came and, and, and then being able to watch him handle the media hand handle the fan notoriety and the, the requests and, and, you know, preparation for practices and games and you know the hoopla that surrounded him on every single day um you know it was impressive to be able to see that especially uh, as a young 21 year old in the league and trying to find my way and and kind of push through the adversity that I was facing at that point you know I think it really gave me a little breathing room and a chance mm -hmm. to kind of catch my breath and understand okay I'm with I'm with probably one of the one of if not the best player to ever play the game like okay get get your head out of your butt and start <laughs> playing the game the way you know how like let's go no <laughs> I start I, making an impression here <laughs> hey to I, I I've I'm just so happy I got an opportunity to be able to to touch Wayne and get in contact with him and I've been able to have a couple phone calls with him I've had dinner with him uh he and Paul coffee so I could only imagine what it was like to be playing and have that guy in the room. I actually can't imagine it. It must have been amazing, but I have nothing but respect for Wayne, obviously as his career, but as a person and what he's willing to give to, I'm sure, his teammates, but to players like me that are still playing. Um, your time with the Blues was really where your career kind of took off. In the 1999-2000 season, you recorded a career high of 62 points and a plus-minus rating of 52. A lot of people talk about, oh, well, plus-minus. No, it for a defense. Listen, as long as I play, that stat matters to me. I'm sorry. It matters. That same season, you won the Norris Trophy and Hart Trophy. What shifted in those years for you? How did you go from being Chris Pronger to cement, really cementing your legacy as a Hall of Famer? You know, I think... It, it was a gradual buildup yeah. through how I was training, how I was eating. And it was just a matter of continuing to build up my body and able to not only endure the punishment I was doling out, but I was taking too. Mm -hmm. And then the amount of minutes I was playing, um, you know, I spent, I think it was my, after my second year in St. Louis. So after my fourth year in St. Louis, I met with Charles Poliquin and started training with him. And immediately started rebuilding my body, you know, changed my whole diet around, um, you know, really started slotting in a game plan for the summer so that once I never really had a plan before, I just would work out. And, mm -hmm. and once you have a game plan and you're working on rehabbing your body, then you're starting to build up your body, then you're getting your strength in your, 
working on your energy systems and all the rest of that stuff. It, I mean, I came in that first season after I was working out with a man, I was picking up guys in training camp and tossing them. It was, it was, I was like, Holy, I can't believe how strong I am. And then, you know, after another see another summer of that, it all kind of came together and my body felt great. And I, you know, that was one of the years where I played 82 games. Um, that season, Al got hurt and missed, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 games. And my production never slipped. And I actually played more minutes when he was out. And, you know, it just, it was just one of those seasons that uh, everything kind of fell into place. You know, two things. First of all, in the season, I know exactly what you're talking about. You never wish injury on any of your teammates but sometimes that's the difference for a player having a good or a great season and when you're playing on good teams and you know this and you got the ball going all you need is more ice time you need more opportunity to capitalize and continue to keep that momentum going and I look at uh the season that I had in Nashville when I was up for the Norris Trophy again and like you had said you Roman Yossi was injured for a few games and during that time my production shot up because I just got more opportunity on the power play so I get that uh God bless Charles Paul Quinn first of all I'm a Paul Quinn guy so you know Clance Layler who's a disciple of Charles who I've trained with my whole life um, who really, when I first started playing in the NHL at 21, took over and gave me that exact same game plan. And a big part of what Charles does in his science and what Clance has given to me has been really the base of, you know, where my body has been able to be and be maintained throughout my whole career. So I know exactly the difference that Charles's program and, and anybody who's a Paula Quinn disciple, we talk about Ben Prentice in New York. I know that he learned from Charles as well. So God bless him. Um, Chris, you had to deal with some injuries in your career, including <laughs> a brief cardiac arrest in 98 during the playoffs after a puck hit you in the chest. Can you talk about like what goes in player's head when he can't play? Um, I don't think people really understand how it feels to get injured in a contact sport, especially a sport like hockey where, I mean, let's be honest, you know, 90% of the time in hockey, when you get injured in contact sports, it's kind of out of your control, right? Yeah. So, you know, what was that like? And, and, and just kind of explain of what it's like to be injured when you can't play. Yeah, I was never, I mean, I, I think that that's why I played injured so often is yeah. I was never one of, you know, there's lots of guys in the league that they only play when they're hundred percent. Yes. I was never one of those guys. I just, you know, I was paid to play and in my head, it's mind over matter and you go out and play the game to the best of your abilities. Sometimes you're limited in what you can and can't do depending upon what's injured. But, uh, you know, I hate, I just hated watching knowing you could impact the game in some fashion, um, you know, be a part of the success of the team. When you're sitting up in the press box or up in a box watching the game, it's just, it's just not the same. You, you don't have the same impact on your teammates. You, you know, you, you, in order to say something, you feel like you got to be on the ice and be a part of the battles and, and be a part of all the emotion that takes place. And, um, you know, it's hard for a guy, you know, especially when I was in Philly and I got hurt and was done. They always wanted me to come around the room and I'm like, well, what do you want me to say? I can't go I out and show you. I can't go out and do it. It's just, you know, in my view, talk is cheap. I mean, there's certain guys that you, 
you will listen to and you'll hear it. But if it's for an extended period of time and they're not playing, you're like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. It just, it's in one ear and out the other because it, they're not around enough to, to really be a part of what's taking place within the locker room and then on the ice. It's, it's the most frustrating. And you know what really pisses me off, Prongs? is, you know, I've gone through times in my career where I was just like you at the start of my career. It was like about Iron Man. I was like, I want to play. I want to be the Iron Man player in the league to play as many games without missing one game. And I think I got to like 360 games. And then my last year in Montreal, I get a neck injury. I get stretched off the ice and people were giving it to me. Like you, you're not. And I'm like, do you know how many, do you know how many games i played in this league banged up injured where i should i could have easily sat out and didn't play so i'm with you man uh prongs listen one of my favorite times of watching you play was when you played in edmonton and you signed that five i think it was a five-year deal 31 million bucks it yeah. was and you played edmonton you guys had an amazing run you were just so dominant and as a defenseman to see a player be the MVP of his team and be dominant like that. I was like, man, I want that. Like, I want to be that guy. I want, I, I'm seeing it. I know it can be done. I want to be that guy. But then all of a sudden you weren't in Edmonton. Like, what happened? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I want to be this guy. I'm like, he's in the right situation. And then you're not there anymore. And I'm like, damn it. This is the only reason why I watched the Edmonton Oilers after Wayne Gretzky left. I, I didn't really have any issue. Like I was like, I don't need to watch Edmonton. Like Wayne's not there. Prongs is there. He's dominating. Now he's not. Well, I had to go to Anaheim and win a cup. <laughs> well, okay. And you know what? We're going to get into that too, because after the Oilers, yeah, you came to the ducks. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about your Stanley cup experience with Anaheim because you know, I'm a guy Prongs, you know, I've won a Norris. Uh, you know, I've been on the Olympic team. I've won a gold medal. I've been up for a Norris a few times, you know, captain of the all-star team. Who cares, right? I, I've never won a Stanley Cup. And, you know, I've gotten close. I've been there. I haven't won one. And it took you some time to get one. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's not the young guys that get there. Like that year we won in Anaheim, Getzlaff was, yes. was 21. Yes. They think they're going to go back there every year. They haven't been back since. I know. Even even to the finals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. it's not as easy as uh, as you know. You look at some players and they're you know they're valuable parts of the team, but they're you know third and fourth liners. They're a big part of the team, but they're not star players making or breaking that team. And they got four, five, six cups. And you're like, I get it. Yeah, you you played a role, and it was valuable to that team but you're an interchangeable part. Mm -hmm. You look at the years we, we had in St. Louis where we're playing Detroit and they got seven hall of famers on their team. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's, uh, you know, that can be frustrating when you get, get a part of that conversation where it's, well, I just never want a cup. Ray Bork, look how long it took him to win. And he had to I go know. to Colorado, you know? So it, it, that, that part really frustrated me, you know, and then I had a great opportunity in, in Edmonton, you know, we lose in game seven and then, uh, and then ultimately get traded Anaheim. And, you know, that, that, that's the one thing with that team that was truly remarkable. Every single player in the locker room, including Scotty, who had already gotten three. Yep. 
it was Stanley Cup or bust. The yeah. only thing we ever talked about was the Stanley Cup. It wasn't about getting first in uh, the conference, first in our division. Nothing had to do with the regular season. Yeah, we wanted to win, but we need to win the cup. And when everybody is of that same mindset, it's crazy what you're able to do. Oh, it's uh, it gives me chills to hear you speak like that, man. Like I, you know, I it's like watching the playoffs right now. I I I give my left nut prongs to to have a chance at, to lift that thing. <laughs> Speaking of Stanley Cups, there's a rumor that you lift the Stanley Cup weighs 35 pounds, and you lifted it with a separated shoulder. Is that true? Yes, sir. Yeah, wow. I uh, I separated my shoulder about halfway through the first period in Game Five, and oh. uh, I got it shot up. I think I came back and played a couple shifts at the end of the first, and then uh, yeah, and actually the <laughs> the the numbing was was wearing off by the time the game was over, and yeah, I I literally had to just kind of throw it up like that because I couldn't press it up. My shoulder kept popping out, so. <laughs> <laughs> So hey. Once I got it up there, if you look at the video of Robbie handing it to me, and then I know I'm going to give it to Tamu, I literally I got it up. I look at the media, the camera guys, couple pictures, and I'm like, "Give it to Tamu." I'm like, I, I can't hold this thing no more. Well, hold on. <laughs> once you got it up over your head, what was it like passing it to Tamu? Like, what was that like? You know, I think you know he's such a great guy. We had our battles yeah. through the years, and yeah. Um, you know, it was just, you know, he's doing his job. I'm doing my job. And then when I got there, you know, my brother had already played with him. So I knew him a little bit and, uh, you know, he's such a great guy. So passionate, um, you know, plays harder, I think, than people realize, uh, because he's such a goal scorer and such a great skater. Um, you know, it was, you know, almost, uh, one, you know, a movie, movie script, the way it goes for me to him with all the drama that had ensued over the years between me and him and, and the emotion and the electricity. And, you know, I think being able to hand it off to him was kind of a culmination, I think for Berkey. Okay. It worked. The trade worked. And there, here's the guy that I brought in, giving it to, to Tamu, you know, kind of solidified his history with the ducks and everything that he'd accomplished in Anaheim. Um, you know, so I think it was, you know, just a, a storybook ending the way, the way that that part of the uh, the year finished off for us. Would it be safe to say that that was the most special moment for you in the playoffs? Like, what was that most that playoff in particular? What was the most special playoff moment for you? Um, you know, I think I, I think Tamu scoring the overtime goal against Detroit in Game Five. We really? had played terrible. Jiggy was first star and yeah. was outstanding. And we just kind of hung around, hung around, hung around. Scotty scored a late goal to tie it, I think. And then, you know, uh, Andy Mack stripped, uh, I think, Andreas Lilia and Tamu got it. I don't know what Hashik was doing, but <laughs> he gave a quick move and Hashik was over getting his jock in the corner. <laughs> you know what, Brogs? This is what I love. You know, I have such an appreciation for guys that have played the game before me. Because I don't think you realize how fun it is for me to hear you talk about stories and just casually throw out, like, I don't know what Dominic Hasek was doing on that play. Like, a Hall of Fame, like, <laughs> top three best goaltender of all time. Okay, 
So we're talking Stanley Cup. Let's switch and talk a little bit of defense here. You know, you have a Norris. I have a Norris. Scott Niedermeyer has a Norris trophy. Your coach at the time, Randy Carlisle, has a Norris trophy. How did defense shape that championship team? And, like, also, I think your defense led the league in, like, penalty minutes, too. Like, what was – how big of a role did defense play into that team winning a championship? You know, the way we play defense – team-wide, you know, forwards, defense, and then obviously the goalie. Our whole system was predicated on how we played. Uh, we played a 1-3-1 one, one with the left D stepping up. The right D with me and Scotty were always going back to get the puck. And, you know, as you said, we had a hard-nosed group back there with Sean O'Donnell, Francois Beauchemin, mm -hmm. myself, Joe DePenta, Ken Huskins, um, Rick Jackman towards the end. Uh, you, you know, you look at the guys we had back there. Scotty was grittier than most people give him credit for. Um, you know, so, you know, we had a hard-nosed group back there. And then obviously up front with the likes of George Peros and Sean Thornton and Brad May and uh, Todd Marchant being the rat he was. And, <laughs> you know, you look at, you know, Getsy, big, strong Getsy. guy, Dustin Penner, um, you know, Perry with how much of a rat he was. Um, you know, Chris Kunitz, how hard he hits. Uh, you, Cooney, you know, Paulson, Travis Moen, you go through our group and, and we're, we're hard nosed and, and played, uh, played the game the right way. And, you know, we could play a finesse game. We could play a, a physical game. We could play a tough game. We could play a defensive game. You know, it could be seven, six or two, one. It really didn't matter to us. And, um, you know, so we kind of molded to, to what the game was, the situation was like in the game. And, you know, I think that's why that's probably the funnest team I've ever played on is because of the it was so different each and every night how we won uh and and you know obviously just the the bond that that group has a because we won but b you know the just guys just got along and be like hey this group's going at six o'clock for dinner and this group's going at seven it wasn't like us four are always going to go here it just hey if you want to go at six meet meet in the lobby you know if you want to go at seven meet in the lobby and whoever showed up you know we just went, all went out for dinner and um, you know, when you play on teams like that, it's, it's pretty neat to be a part of that. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Bronx, I got a fun fact for you and for the people watching. I don't even know if you know this, but I have a fun fact about Chris Prongers. <laughs> Each team that traded for you, you've led them to the finals three years in a row. On the other hand, no team that's traded you away qualified for the playoffs the following year. What does that tell you about Chris Pronger as a hockey player? That is one hell of a fun fact. You got to give me my props for doing research, Chris. Yeah, yeah well done. Well done. <laughs> okay. Listen, um, you had some difficult injuries during your time with the Flyers. You had knee surgery. Grabowski hit you in the eye with a stick in 2011. And then you were dealing with post-concussion syndrome. You know, what is post-concussion concussion syndrome, excuse me, and when did you first feel like something was off? Like, what was that whole thing like, Prongs? Because that just seemed tough. I, I, You know, I remember just reading up online and seeing what was going on, and I'm like, damn, that, like, that's got to be scary. <laughs> it was, you know, when I got hit for, I was more worried about my eye and losing my eye than I was about my head. Um, you know, the full force of his stick, I saw it at the last second and kind of moved 
and I had like an itty bitty cut that took two stitches and then the, the full force of his stick blade hit me right in the eyeball. And <sighs> what I didn't, didn't find out till later is that I had a vestibular concussion uh, and I was more worried about my eye with all the swelling and all the bleeding inside my eye that yeah. I wasn't really even focused on, you know, you know, my headaches and yeah, I just figured it was part of my eye. And I laid in bed for nine days straight. Then I got up and walked one day. Then I got up and slowly pedaled my bike. Then I went to the rink and, and rode the bike. Then I skated by myself. Then I practiced with the team. Then I played the next day. <laughs> so I didn't really give myself a whole lot of time to, I just thought, you know, I was getting lightheaded and I was getting a little nauseous, but I thought, you know, mind over matter. I must be out of shape. I, I laid in bed for two weeks. So there's no way I'm in game shape. So I figured I'll just play in, you know, I'll practice, I'll play, I'll get back into shape. And, you know, the first game was actually against Tampa. The, my first game back was a game against Tampa where I stood there and I was calling Marty St. Louis on. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was, was when Guy Boucher back. had the trap. He had that yeah. one, three, one oh. trap. Yes. I didn't have to do anything that game. I just <laughs> stood there with the puck. So I really didn't feel, I felt not great, but you know, a couple of times I told the trainer, I didn't feel great. And you know, I, I don't know, uh, you know, maybe I'm out of shape. I don't know. Then the next night we played in Florida. I felt terrible, you know, and I started making stupid plays, just things that I never made before. And then the next night in, in Carolina, I slid on a two on one and, you know, my feet hit the boards and I snapped my neck back and I was all dizzy again. And, you know, I had like a little blackout and I was like, okay, well, it's one of a thousand I've had before, you know, where you just kind of go. So I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, I didn't feel great. I was, I had a really bad headache. I was a little, a little nauseous again. And I was like, all right, went back home. We played against Phoenix. Hansel hit me from behind. And it's funny, you know, when you're playing, he hit me from behind and, and my head hit the glass and I snapped. I kind of blacked out for a second. Then I snapped, but I didn't even snap on him. I was so mad that there was no penalty on the play. I chased the ref down all the way to the penalty box and he was backing up. Like I was going to tomahawk him over the head. And I was just like, losing my marbles on him that that it wasn't a penalty <laughs> and then of course i calm down and i get in there and i'm like oh my I, my head's killing me <laughs> i'm like oh this is not good finally we go into winnipeg i think it was their second year in the league and it was so loud in that building if you recall yes first came in the league i mean it was yeah. so loud that place is still and, it's prongs it's still loud and i i i went in there from the start from the opening drop of the puck I had a headache. I, my eyes were a little blurry. I, I couldn't see great. You know, I just, I was nauseous and I was brutal. I went to take a one timer. I missed the puck and I fell down. I oh. mean, it was, I turned on a play where I went back and picked up a puck and I, I could have got killed. I mean, I would have been out cold and you know, the guy didn't hit me and I was just like, Oh my God. And after that game, I was just sitting in my stall and I looked at the trainer and I'm like, Hey, enough. I'm getting worse. I need to get checked though when we get back because something's not right. And, you know, ultimately, you know, thankfully nothing happened in those five games because I wasn't right. And there was some major issues going on. Uh, but, you know, I think when you train yourself mind over matter and just, you yes. know, you play, you play through everything. You just, 
Your job is to play the game of hockey, play the game. Whether you're hurt, whether you're not, you know, that's your job, play the game. And when you train yourself and you have that mentality, it, it's hard to kind of relinquish that and, and admit that you're hurt, admit that you can't play. I've always told myself, you know, whenever I got asked by media, oh, is it hard to play against that guy? No, it's not. You know, you start letting things in your head like, oh, that guy's too good. I can't play against them. You're already defeated. Right. I, I never admitted anything like that. Yep. Because it's just, it's, it's allowing a negative connotation into your head and, and uh, something that I just never wanted to be a part of. You know, and, and I could speak to that. Every time that I've messed, missed extended period of time with injury, it's usually been like whatever happened, happened two or three games before, and I tried to play through it, and it just didn't work out or it got worse. So I get that. But I'll tell you this, man. Listening to what you're saying, they do not make hockey players like Chris Pronger anymore. <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Bronx, where were you when you first heard the news that you were getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. I was playing in the Albert Pujols Celebrity Golf Tournament. <laughs> and how about this one? He can I hit a ball. The, I get the call, and I'm playing with four deaf guys. Okay? So, no, think about this. So, what do deaf people do? They read lips. So, I take this call. Oh. I, walk, I walk, you know... 20 yards away, you know, where I'm just standing there and I'm turned like this and the guy can see me and I'm like, Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for the Hall of Fame induction. Da, da, da. And I walk over to my cart and my cart mate goes, Oh, he's like, I, I don't want to be rude, but I read your lips. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm Only like, oh, you. All right, then. <laughs> Only you. I mean, and you uh, so well deserved. You've had such an amazing career. Um, Prongs, can you talk a little bit about your time with the Florida Panthers and overseeing operations for the Panthers? Um, you know, how was that to switch from like the ice to the front office? What was that like? What was that experience like? Yeah, you know, I think early it, it can be frustrating because as a player, as you know, you, you're in total control of what can and cannot happen on the ice. Mm -hmm. When you're in management, you help facilitate the players that are on the ice and you, yes. you, you put pieces of the puzzle in place but at the end of the day that's the end of your job and then it goes to the coaches and then ultimately the players you're pretty far removed from you know you're, you're putting the, the team together so to speak with respect to the players and and obviously the salary cap and all the different pieces that that kind of are involved in that but outside of that it can be frustrating when either a the team's not playing well or guys are struggling and you're you're trying to talk to them and help them a little bit, but you don't want to overstep your bounds and you're yeah. trying to walk that fine line of, listen, I played, I've been in your shoes, but you're not wanting to tell them they suck or tell them they're struggling or they already know right. it. They know they're either having a tough go or, you know, they're feeling really good and they're, they're playing well and you're trying to support them. Yeah. Or, or what happens a lot of times is a guy gets really down in the dumps. He makes a bad player or, or has a poor first couple of shifts and then he's chasing it, always trying to make up for that as opposed to just playing the game. Yeah. You don't have to make up for anything. It's already happened. It's over. And, and then you see their game just spiral out of control and you try to just talk to them. Like don't chase it. Just let the game come to you. Don't force things and try to make that heroic pass that you think people are going to 
say, oh, well, he just made up for that. You're not ever making up for that mistake. It happened. We all make them. They happen every single game. Everybody makes mistakes on the ice. I don't care who they are. They're made. And and really, I, I had to learn that in my career, not making up for stuff. Just you get in a hole when you're, you spiral so far out of control when you're trying to always make up for something, always trying to make something happen when it doesn't need to be made. And, you know, I think, you, you know, I tried to impart some of that wisdom on some of the guys and, you know, some guys listen, some guys don't. It's, I know how I was when I was young and when I was playing it, you got to learn, really, you got to learn on your own. It's, you can try to guide and help, but it's no different than a 36 year old Brad and Kremen telling an 18 year old Chris Pronger, this is what's going to happen in your career. And literally every single thing he told me happened. But I had to make the mistakes and learn on my own. Even though he told me yes. they were going to happen, I still had to go out and make them on my own because I'm young and dumb and I got to learn on my own. And sometimes we learn from those mistakes and other times we don't. And, you know, that's why we're humans. And, you know, that's we, we all make mistakes and, and we got to learn from it. And, and really the, the best ones, the really good ones are able to get over it quickly learn from it, set it aside, and then go out and don't make that same mistake and and do what you do best, which is play the game of hockey the way you know how. Well, that is amazing advice. And speaking of young and dumb, I'm going to give you <laughs> a very you good... Now? I'm going <laughs> to... Exactly. I'm going to give you a great example of young and dumb. Okay? We're playing... It's the playoffs, and we're playing the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay? Peter Laviolette is on the bench. Chris Pronger is on the ice. P.K. Subban is playing his first playoffs in the NHL. And we're playing at home. And I got three assists in the game, Prongs. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling great. You're sitting up in the press box now on the Florida Panthers. And you're saying, that P.K., he's, he's doing well right now, but he can't let the game get good to him. Well, I let the game get good to me. And a wise steady veteran defenseman made me pay. I came up, fans were cheering. I'm high stepping, coming through the ice, lose the puck at the red line. Puck slides right back to Chris Pronger, slow and steady. He makes a 40 foot pass. I can't remember the name of the play. He ended up playing in Buffalo after he kind of has his, his skates like Kovalev. I don't Billy know. If Lino. Lino. That's who it was. Yeah. Chris Pronger takes it back just nice and easy, and he sails like a 40-foot saucer pass past me to Billy Leno on a breakaway. In, in, bing, bing, bang, game was over. So I learned my lesson at that time. Don't let the game get good to you. Um, Prongs, what's your advice for athletes looking to turn a new leaf after retire retiring? It's not easy to retire as an athlete. I mean, listen, I'm engaged to, you know, one of the greatest athletes of all time and Lindsay, and I can be the first to tell you it ain't easy for anybody to transition into retirement, especially after having a career like yourself or Lindsay has had. So, you know, what's your advice for those athletes that are listening or anybody really that's retiring from a profession young that they've had success in and is looking to make that next step? I got some great advice when I got hurt in Philly mm -hmm. uh, by two phenomenal mentors that I have. They told me, don't take a year off. Don't, don't commit to doing anything. Don't just remove yourself. Like I always wanted to take a year off from hockey. If I was going to get back in, I'd get back in. 
you have to give yourself time to a appreciate your career. Yeah. Step away from the game and you're, you're retiring, but you're still invested. You, you're probably not going out on top. You're probably not going out. <laughs> in, you know, you're, you're not really. Yes. Yes. Not everybody's right. John Elway walking off at two in a row. Yes. And retiring. Like it just very rarely does it happen where you're able to retire that way. So, you know, they, they, they really, you know, I really took it to heart where, you know, where players are like, I really want to start a foundation or I want to get involved. Everybody's asking to get involved in a charity, get involved in this, get involved in that. And, and the, it was great advice because you don't, you really want to think through exactly the next steps and you need time a to heal b to appreciate what you've done c to really think it through create a plan create action steps hmm. as to what you want to do next um and 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 then start executing on it and you know but you got to give yourself time i think too often guys are retired they get fidgety it's either a oh i'm just gonna golf all all the time or i'm gonna go lay on the beach or i'm gonna go yeah. do this or go do that you're in your thirties, probably maybe even in your twenties. Like yeah. what you, you got far too much time left on earth to sit around and do nothing. Yeah. And most likely you still got a brain and you still know what's going on and mm-hmm. you've got too much to give to the world, to the community, to those that uh, are around you to just kind of wither away and do nothing. So, you know, I, I tell guys all the time, like, Take your time and be patient, but but really think about what you're passionate about, what really gets your juices going. Like what, you know, what do you want? What do you want to fix? You know, what do you want to fix? What's going on in the world that you, you know, really bothers you? What's going what what's going on in your life that you really feel like you can make a difference in? What's okay. going on with your family? What's going on? You know, really start digging deep and, and peeling back the onion and figuring out, you know. What do you want to get good at? You know, were you good with the media? Okay, maybe you want to take public speaking. Maybe you want to you want to learn and, and get better at certain things. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do in that year off mm-hmm. that can help you figure out what you want to do next. And it's really about self-reflecting, understanding, you know, when you're reflecting on your career and enjoying what you're trying to enjoy – the career that you've had, because you don't really get an opportunity to when you're playing, you sit back and, and reflect, you're able to reflect on all the highs, the lows, the, you know, feel the different emotions that you've felt throughout the course of your career. And then you're able to really figure out who you are, you know, because when we're athletes, we're told where to go, what to do, how to do it for pretty much our whole lives. And then you've got to figure out, you don't have a schedule, you don't know what to do, where to go. And really, the, that's part of those action steps is figuring out what what's next. And and when you're doing that, you're also, I think we look at athletes that struggle with life after hockey, life after football, life after basketball, baseball, whatever sport. They don't know what next is. Mm. And then and they, you know, what else are you going to do? You're going to drink. You're going to do drugs. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Because it takes the pain away. And, and you, you, you really struggle to find that next thing that's going to really get your your heart going really get the juices going and something that you're passionate about so you you know taking a a full year off I had to do it anyways because I was hurt but you know I was told to take a year off and don't commit to this and don't you know really make sure that when you 
want to invest your time and efforts in something that you have the the ability to do so and aren't pinned down to commitments you made in a, in a frame of mind where you're not 100%. No, that that is amazing advice. But I have another question for you that's probably more specific to you and very few others. But there's some people out there who you know, probably can, can be able to reflect in a way that you can on your career. You're arguably one of the best players to ever play the game, not just best defenseman, but one of the best players to ever play the game. How do you walk away and how do you shift away from being that? You know, you're, you're, you're a hall of famer. You've done it all. You've won a Stanley cup. You, you talk about MVP Norris trophy. You've done it all in that. How do you walk away now and just shift away from that? How do you do that? Well, and that's, and that's why you got to take a year off. You're, <laughs> you know, honestly, you're really, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that I, towards the latter part of my career, I was trying to work on was I'm not Chris Pronger, the hockey player. I'm Chris mm -hmm. Pronger. Yes. And it's, it's one of those things where too often it's like, oh, he's a hockey player. Oh, he's a hockey player. He's, yeah. That that's what I do. That's not who I am. And you try to explain to people that um, you try to explain to people that you need to, I think that you're off. I learned who I was. You, you really, as, as you're self-reflecting, figuring out the type of father you want to be, the type of person you want to be, the type of things you want to invest your time in. Mm -hmm. And and that's part of understanding you as a person and, and really trying to explain to people, I'm not just a hockey player. Yes. Uh, that's something I did. That was a job and a passion and something that I love to do, but that's not the totality of me and, and the, everything that encompasses me, you know, we're passionate about all kinds of different things. And when you try to explain that to people, they sometimes they take offense to it because they're fans yeah. and yeah. they want, they're investing their soul into yeah. You as a fan and and your teams and and all the rest of that, but I mean, really, you know, it, it's no different than saying, "Hey, I don't want to play here anymore," or a team walking away and saying, oh, "I'm going to trade you." I mean, it happens. Yeah, and, and it's not because I'm Augie player; it's because I'm me. And you know, you try to, you know, I think that's how I live my life now. Is I, you know, yeah, I I know lots about hockey and I played the game and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not all that I know and all that I do and all that I can do. It's it's a you know a small part of my life because when you think about it, I played 18 years. I'm 46 years old. That's uh, still only a small part of my whole life. So it's uh, you know I think you want people to a you want them to recognize you for your talents while you're playing, and then you know outside of the game what you do. Uh, in 2.0, if you want to call it that, or 3.0, you know, I think I, I read something uh, when I was a kid that we, we have a, at a minimum five jobs in your life. I've already had seven. <laughs> so, you know, like awesome. people think you're doing the same job your whole life. No, it's, I was a dishwasher when I was a kid. I was a masonry's assistant when I was a kid. I played hockey. That's I, awesome. you know, I've owned businesses. I, you know, I, I, worked in the safe player safety. I've, I've now worked in the front office for the Panthers and now I'm doing what I'm doing now in travel. So there's, you know, it, it's never, you're never done learning. I think that's something I've learned a long time ago. And I used, I implemented that into my training, always looking at the weakness 
and then that's what you're working on to, to continue to get better. I always told myself before I got hurt that I knew it was time to quit when I was done learning. And, uh, you know, in order to continue to get better in, in your profession, whether it's athletes, athletics or business or what have you, it's getting better and improving. And, and when you're able to do that, good things happen. And once you're done learning and once you're done getting better, uh, you're, you're going the other way and you're starting to get worse because everybody else is getting better. That's awesome. Well, you, you know what? You're, you're spot on, man. And anybody that calls you a hockey player hasn't taken the time to really learn who you are. And I'm sure that a lot of the Subaniacs and Ugly Duck <laughs> podcast fans are getting a nice taste of who Chris Pronger is. Uh, <laughs> Prongs, <laughs> what keeps you up at night? Oh, boy. Wow. Uh, slow drivers in the left lane. <laughs> <laughs> um you are the best you are the best you know what, it would have been fun i like that's one thing whenever i meet guys that have played before me i always think it would have been awesome to play with that guy it would have been awesome to go out every night and you know who i could like hal gill you know scott gomez like those guys were those guys for me like i love to get on the ice with those guys and play and i miss that so much i really do i really do miss that um the game has changed so much it's so young now it's just different um best advice you've ever received um the best advice never make a uh, never make an important decision in the time of crisis. Mm. Best decision ever. Whenever it is a, could be a potentially life altering decision. Yes. I always sleep on it. I never, and if somebody says I need an answer, then my answer is no. Yes. I love it. I'm not going to give you a yes without thinking about it and giving myself time to really think it through, Really let it simmer. And, you know, what keeps you up at night? Well, it's whatever decision I've got to make the next day, whatever it is, it's thinking on it, thinking it through properly, giving it its deserved amount of <laughs> space in my brains to really think it through and figure out what exactly the right answer is. Well, and when people press me, sorry, no, yep, can't do it. No, you're spot on. And I guess that that could possibly answer this next question of what's the secret to your success? Because that's got to be in there. That that decision making is is huge in, in yeah, having success in life. No, but I think I think there's a couple things. I think it's uh, I think it's work ethic. I think it's, uh, you know, the ability to to push through things and, and not not be deterred by. Uh, failure, not be deterred by obstacles in the road. Mm. Um, you know, I think as athletes, as, as business people, when you, when you're faced with a fork in the road, you're not always going to choose the right one, but it's how quickly you are able to realize and understand you made the wrong decision and mm. then right the wrong. It's, uh, you know, that, and, and really decision-making like there's been a lot of times where I look back on all the decisions that I had to make. All right. Am I going to play AAA or play high school hockey? Am I going to play junior B or am I going to go to major junior? Am I going to go to major junior? Or am I going to go to college? 
am I going to, you know, come out? Am I going to hold out before, after training camp and try to get a contract? Am I, you look at all the decisions you make over your career, over your life. And if you go back and say, well, if I changed, if I just did the exact opposite, how would my life be? Hmm. And it's, 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 you know, when you feel like you've made a lot of good decisions in your life, yeah, we all make, we all make some stupid ones. Oh. We all make poor choices, but figuring out how to then right those wrongs and, yes. and, and make better decisions. You know, I think I've been able throughout my life and my career, when I have made a poor decision or made a bad decision, I'm able to figure it out fairly quickly and then move on from it and, and accept the responsibilities of my actions or accept the responsibilities of the decision or the poor choice and then move on from there and figure out uh, how do I rectify the situation and move on. And, uh, you know, I think that's really at the end of the day what we all do. <laughs> Some just do it better than others. Mm hmm. No, you're, you're spot on. You're spot on, Chris. It's awesome. This is, this has been, uh, this has been great. Um, last question I have for you. What would you like to say to all the NHL fans out there that are listening right now? Anything you'd like to leave them with? Don't drive slow in the left lane. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know what I would say? You are the best. Honor. It was it was an honor and a privilege to play in the National Hockey League for 18 years. Um, wow. I left it all out there. I hope everybody enjoyed it. I know a lot of you haters love me, but hate me. And some of you just hate me because I kicked your team's ass <laughs> or I kicked your favorite player's ass or I broke somebody's arm or hurt somebody's <laughs> back or slapped somebody in the back of the legs. <laughs> it was all just, honestly, it's just a game. And you know what, you know, I, I guess the last part would be, I can't tell you how many, how many people I've met and I'm sure you, you get this to a T they meet me. And they're, you know, they might be from San Jose or they might be from Chicago or wherever, where I was public enemy number one. And they just like, oh, wow, I didn't think you'd be that nice. <laughs> I'm like, 100%. We're playing a game here. Like, I'm trying to win. I'm not trying to be nice. Like, this is a physical sport. Let's, let's, let's remember that. And I try to, you try to explain, like, some of the fiercest competitors I've played with. And some of the toughest guys I've played with are also off the ice, the most gentle, fun-loving yes. guys that just, you know, embrace life and, and love life and enjoy everything about it. But man, when they get on the ice and they flip that switch, man, they're it's on. They don't care if it's their brother, they're fighting them. It's and on. They're, they're, it's on. And and that's that's I think what's impressive about our game is how I mean. You know, earlier in my career, yeah, guys held grudges and guys yes. appreciate a lot of what I was doing. But I think, you know, you get over it. Like, you know, you retire, you get over, you see guys that you had beefs with and, and run-ins with. And it is what it is. Like, it's part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to move on from it. Everybody's got to grow up and, and move on with life. And, and uh, I think that's what's great about our game. You play the game hard, win or lose, you go out have a couple of beers, go have dinner, go do whatever. And, you know, sometimes you're running the other team and you're talking and people are like, Oh my God, that guy fought that guy. And they, you know, it's just water under the bridge. They, they might get ready to do it next game. You never know. 
No, I think you're spot on. And in the world of, you know, social media today, I think that fans have, you know, they have more channels of communication to understand the game and understand how things work. And, and hopefully fans can learn from that. But those same fans that hate your prongs is why we get excited to go into Chicago to play and go into Boston to play. Because guys like you and me, we that stuff only gets us revved up to play better and to compete harder. Um, I think I say this on behalf of not just, you know, my fans, but any NHL fans and all NHL fans that love the game of hockey. Thank you for coming on and doing the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. And you're a guy that I've definitely looked up to, um, you know, since I could lay, lace up the skates. I know that my dad is one of your biggest fans, loved watching you play and starting off your career. And I'm so happy to hear that you're in a good place transitioning into something new now. Um, we want to hear all about it. I know that you told me a little bit about it. We wish you the best of luck in all of your endeavors and especially as a family man. I'm sure it's got to be great now to be able to spend time with your family and your kids. But once again, Subaniacs, Ugly Duck fans, we're bringing the best to you. Chris Pronger, Hall of Famer, two-time Olympic gold medalist, Stanley Cup winner, Norris Trophy. The list goes on and on. You are definitely one of the best and the game is going to miss you. Thanks for coming on, Prongs. Thanks, PK. Thanks for having me. All the best. Cheers. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thank you to my guest, Chris Pronger, for joining me on the show today. Be sure to check back next week for another episode of the Ugly Duck podcast. Also, follow, like, and subscribe wherever you can listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe.